0: We are in week eight of this uh, powerful little letter written by the Apostle Paul as he sits in uh, a Roman prison chained to Roman guards and he's writing back to a church that he loved dearly. Uh, I'm convinced this was Paul's favorite church out of all the churches that he, that he planted in a, in a church called Philippi. And uh, I'm told that last Sunday, uh, Joe Dillon, my, my dad, preached in my absence and he not only kicked off chapter three for us, but he also talked some serious trash about me. Is that, is that true? Is that, you guys let him get away with that? You guys can see why I'm so messed up now, right? I can't even help it. It's just in the gene pool. Um, I love my dad. I'm glad you guys got a chance to see how messed up he is too. Well, I, had, I did have some time off last week. We did, a, we did a staycation last week, which by the way is like one of the best ways to have a vacation. We really enjoyed that. And uh, one of the things that I, that I enjoy doing when I have some time off is, is I really enjoy watching documentaries, right? My, my wife, not so much, so I have to wait until she's busy doing something else. And then I go find a, a documentary to watch. And, um, and I came across this documentary last week um, about a triathlete named James Lawrence. And I've got a picture of James Lawrence. He's known as the Iron Cowboy. Uh, because he wears a cowboy hat sometimes when he runs so that his family can pick him out of, of the crowd. And the funny thing is, uh, he wasn't a runner. So even as an adult, he, he, didn't, he didn't like running. And, but his wife signed him up for a, for a marathon. And he was too cheap to waste the $70 entry fee. And so he decided to run this, this marathon. He didn't wanna waste the money. And uh, he decided he didn't hate it. So he went from marathons and he started doing triathlons. And eventually he got this crazy idea. Some of y'all may have heard about this story. Uh, This crazy idea called the 50-50-50. It was 50 triathlons in 50 states in 50 days. Okay. Which, Which if you know anything at all about like running or swimming or bike is nuts. So he talked to experts, talked to doctors. And they all said, no, don't. Don't do it. The, hu- the human body is not designed for this. The human body will begin to break down. You could actually cause long-term, long-term damage. We're not created to, to function at that high level of exertion for that long. And of course, he did it anyway. And so they, uh, they document this, this journey. And it, as you can imagine, it was absolutely brutal. So many days, he's, he's operating on uh, either no sleep or like one hour of sleep, three hours of sleep because he's running deep into the night. And then, you know, he collapses into a van and they got to drive to the next state, right? Cause he's got to start the next one at like five or six o'clock in the morning. So it's just like this brutal grind. And there's like, there's this one part where he actually jacks up his shoulder. And so he's doing the swimming portion with one arm. He's like swimming, he's got the other arm just like drifting in the water behind him. At another point, uh, he literally collapses while he, he's running. And uh, he's in, in just agonizing pain. And the doctor runs over there and is checking him out. He's like, yeah, it looks like you probably ripped part of your bone off the muscle. And so, um, so he, he just, he's, he's like laying there almost in tears. And after a while, he just gets up. He keeps running. And he's like, he's straining and he's pushing and he's grinding towards the finish line. And he's just determined that, that nothing is going to stop him. Like, no amount of mental exhaustion, no amount of physical pain. He is striving, he is straining toward the goal. And I think that's actually a really helpful picture for us as we think about the Apostle Paul sitting in a prison, having suffered a lot, having accomplished a lot for the sake of Jesus' kingdom, but he's not satisfied. He's not resting on his laurels. He's he's pressing forward. He's running his race hard until the finish line. And so we're gonna pick up right there in the middle of chapter three, verse 12. And this is the apostle Paul writing. And he says this, not that I have already obtained this. And he's talking about his relationship with Jesus, okay? Becoming more and more like Jesus. The Bible calls this, it's a big word, uh, sanctification. But it just means, you know, we, we become believers. Uh, we begin to follow Jesus. He, he gives us his Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. And then the rest of our life is spent becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what we call the process of sanctification. And Paul is saying, man, I, ha- I haven't arrived yet. So he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus Has made me his own. Now, if you're in Christ this morning, aren't you glad that Jesus has made you his own? That when we were dead, he made us alive. That when we were blind, he had mercy on us and he reached down and he touched us and he gave us sight. And Paul is saying, Believer, never forget the magnificence of this truth. Jesus made you his own. Verse 13, brothers. I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. So Paul is saying, here's the one thing my life is about. One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So essentially, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying... I'm not there yet. Like, I haven't, I haven't arrived. Which, in some ways, if you think about it, is really shocking. Scholars believe Paul had been a Christian at this point in time, probably between 25 and 30 years. At this point, he's planted tons of churches. He's helped launch this brand new Jesus movement all over the known world, in Europe, in Asia, in the Middle East. He's written like half of the New Testament just imagine like you living in those days and meeting the Apostle Paul and you guys are like having a conversation around the water cooler or you're at a coffee shop or whatever and you're just kind of having small talk. He's like, yeah, I wrote a book. And you're like, oh, cool, man. What what book did you write? I don't know. Maybe you heard about it, the Bible. Yeah. Like, if anybody could say, I have arrived. Like I've done my part in this whole kingdom thing. I've suffered enough. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna kick back. I'm gonna get a little beach bungalow on the coast and somewhere in the Caribbean island, man. I'm just gonna kind of coast to the finish line. If anybody could legitimately say something like that, it'd be the apostle Paul, but he's not doing that. Paul is saying, listen, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I still have room to grow in my knowledge. I still have room to grow in my walk with Jesus. I'm still pressing. I'm still striving. I am still running my race hard. I don't know about you guys, but that is really encouraging to me. Because if the Apostle Paul, of all people, could be honest enough to just say, look, I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. I feel like that kind of frees us up to also be honest with ourselves and honest with one another. And so here's the first truth that I think the Apostle Paul would have us really embrace as followers of Jesus. Number one, let's renounce the shackles of self-perfection. And there are there are few things in life that are as exhausting as faking perfection. Isn't that exhausting? Just like constantly feeling like we have to put on a thing for other people so they'll accept us, so they'll like us, so they'll love us, so they won't think less of us. We just kind of put on these airs and we live these fake lives on Facebook and Instagram and all these things. It's it's exhausting trying to be something that we're not and none of us are perfect. And if the apostle Paul could acknowledge that he wasn't perfect, that he hadn't yet arrived, we can be honest with ourselves and with each other as well. Let me just ask you, like, what is it in us that makes us feel like we have to fake it around other Christians? Like, what, what is it inside of us that just kind of like compels us to put on the plastic smile and pretend like we've arrived when clearly we haven't? I got a, just a couple of passages I want to share with you. These will be on the screens for you. But Paul says this in Romans. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, in the original language in, in the Greek, that word all it means all, like all. <laughs> like every single one, no one excluded. And Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes says this, surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So by a show of hands this morning, who in the room is a sinner? Who's a sinner? Now we're all sinners because some of you didn't raise your hands and you sinned by lying. So we're all in the same boat, Alright? So listen, th- this truth that none of us are perfect, spiritually speaking, that none of us have arrived This actually should not be like a sense of condemnation for us realizing that. This should actually be very freeing to us because it frees us to be real and honest and open and transparent, not only with ourselves, but with one another. And I, listen, I say this as someone who, who loves the church, believes in the church, as someone who believes that the church is God's chosen vehicle to take the hope-filled good news of Jesus into our neighborhoods, into our cities, into the nations. But I also believe that a lot of churches are like the fakest place on earth on Sunday mornings. And if you're being honest, you've likely participated in this Christian fakeness just like I have. All right, I mean, you, you know the drill. See if some of this might sound familiar. You're like screaming at your kids to get in the car because you're late for church. You get in the car and you're arguing with your spouse. You drive to church and you open the car and you get out. And as soon as you walk in the church doors, it's like, hey, brother, how are you? God bless you. God is good, man. I'm better than I deserve. Living the dream, baby. Right, and we put on these plastic fake Masked, and we use these stupid Christian platitudes. And meanwhile, our life is in shambles. Our kids hate our guts. Your spouse won't even make eye contact with you. And by the way, we noticed that, so we know you just had a fight. You're not really tricking anybody. And Paul is saying, Stop playing games. Stop playing games. Why are, you, why are you doing it? Why, why do we do this? I would argue that the, re- the primary reason we do this is it's, it's pride. At its core, it's the disease and the sin of pride, of wanting other people to think that we're better than we actually are, that we're further in our spiritual journey than we actually are. And the danger in pride is it can actually take us in the other direction of spiritual smugness as, re- as well, right? Like, So you have these Christians sometimes that will have the attitude like they've arrived or they've already done enough for God in their lives. And so these Christians stop working and they stop pressing. They stop straining in their race. And so you'll hear stuff all the time. People saying, man, I I used to go on mission trips or I used to serve in the church as a deacon or in the worship team or with a youth ministry or whatever it is. I used to give generously in the church to God's kingdom. I just want to say, well, good. What are you doing now? What are you doing now to pursue Jesus? Like today, what are you doing to advance his kingdom? Because if Paul, as an older man, sitting in prison, having suffered in unspeakable ways for Christ, having planted tons of churches, having having written a ton of the Bible, is still pressing and still striving and still Pushing towards Christ and Christ's likeness, who in the world are we to hit coast in our life and just check out? I would argue that's spiritual arrogance and immaturity regardless of how old you are. So let's acknowledge what Paul is acknowledging here that none of us have arrived, none of us are perfect and let's renounce the shackles, the slavery of self perfection. And that leads us right in to truth number two this morning. Press into the race of knowing Jesus. And I love the way the apostle Paul articulates this in another letter. This is in 1 Corinthians. This will be on the screens for you. Listen to the way he describes this race of chasing after Jesus. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Well, one of the reasons among many that I love the Apostle Paul is the guy clearly at some point in his life was an athlete or he was at least a huge fan of, of sports, right? He's always talking about running and racing and pressing and boxing and you know, he's a dude, right? He loves sports. I can relate to guys like him. And he says, look, like like a runner doesn't run aimlessly, just like a boxer doesn't flail around, right? A good boxer is is disciplined in his stance. He's strategic in his punches, right? Do you ever remember when you were a kid, maybe on the playground, elementary school, you know, little skirmishes and fights break out, you know? You ever see a fight where one kid clearly knows how to fight, you know, he's got his hands up and he's, he's throwing his punches and he's bobbing and he's, he's weaving and you got the other kid doing the human windmill, you know, like that, you know? And the kid that's doing the human windmill just gets destroyed, like pummeled. Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't be the human windmill in your spiritual life. <laughs> And Christian, run your race like that, a disciplined race. Fight like that. Be the runner, be the boxer who is disciplined as you press into and pursue, pursue and strive to be like Jesus with that same level of intensity and grit and intentionality in your life. And then Paul gives us two ways to pursue Jesus in this way. Look halfway, go back to verse 13, kind of halfway through verse 13 he says this, but one thing I do, so he's saying this is what my life is about, this is what I'm about, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward calling God in Christ Jesus. So how, how do you press into the race of, of knowing Jesus, of becoming more like Jesus? The first way is this, you have to forget your past. You have to forget your past. I mean, how, how many of us are absolutely crippled to some degree by our past mistakes and our sins. And how many of us are, are, are just slaves to maybe, maybe painful things that other people have done to us in our lives? And so I don't, I don't know your story. I don't know uh, what baggage you're carrying around, but I know that we all have stuff. And I know that we all come to this room with our own set of, of pain and wounds and different sets of baggage. And so for you, I don't know, maybe you were abused as a child. Maybe you were uh, taken advantage of by someone that you trusted. I don't know what your story is, but here, here's what Paul is saying. You Listen, you cannot change the past, but Jesus frees us to move beyond our past. See, our past doesn't have to define our, our present or our future. Now, remember, Paul himself was, was basically a murderer, was he not? This guy's, a, this guy's a terrorist before he meets Jesus. And we don't see him in any of his writings just kind of moping around. God, oh, I guess God can't really use me. I mean, I'm a terrible person. Look at my past. I'm a, I'm a murderer. I'm just a sorry, no good person. No, Paul is pressing forward. Paul understood that he was a new creation in Christ, that his sin had been paid for in full by the blood of Jesus. And so Christian, if you wanna run this race, you have to learn how to release the baggage of your past. Now, I know some of you are actually um, runners. You enjoy running. I'm not one of y'all, but some of y'all actually like to run. And I have run a few times. Um, But for those of you who run, how well would it go for you in whatever, a 5K, a 10K, half marathon, whatever it is that, that you run, if you decided to run your race looking backwards? how well would that go for you? you think you would win that race? You're probably gonna be in the hospital, right? Because if you can't see where you're going, you're probably gonna trip over something and you're gonna eat some asphalt. It's, it's not, it's not gonna be good. It's not gonna be good for you. Paul's saying, why, why are you doing this? Why are you, why, are you living in the, why are you living in the past? You have to learn how to forget your past. You've got to move past it. You've got to stop looking back at your sins and your mistakes. You can't allow that stuff to imprison you in the present and in the future. He's saying, eyes up, eyes forward. So you've got to forget your past. And not only must we forget our sins in the past and our failures in the past, I think it's important that we learn how to also forget our past successes and achievements because it seems to me that there are great Many Christians who live in the glory days. You know what I'm talking about? We all know Christians like that, right? Back when I was in college, man, I told my whole dorm about Jesus. And back in in the 70s, I had all my neighbors in a Bible study. Back when I was younger, I used to share my faith with everybody. Good. Well, I just wanna say, are you dead yet? No, I mean, you're like talking to me. Stop looking back and run your race, Christian. I want to show you a vivid uh, picture of what happens when you stop running your race, when you start celebrating before you cross the finish line. Watch, Watch this video. That stinks. <laughs> you notice what happened, right? The guy's got the race won. He's way ahead of everybody. He slows down. He's celebrating. He's throwing his arms up in the air, trying to get the crowd to cheer for him. <laughs> and as he's celebrating, somebody passes him. He loses the race. And the, the clip ends with him laying on the ground. Like, I can't believe I'm such a moron. Don't be that guy in your spiritual journey. And look, it's not just with like individual believers. There are entire churches like all over this country that will be dead at this time next year. I'm talking thousands of churches because they cannot get over the glory days. Man, we had success in the 60s. Man, we had success in the 70s doing this kind of music and this kind of preaching and these kind of programs. So we're just gonna keep doing the same thing. The problem's not with us. The problem's with everybody else. Listen, you cannot... Move forward with your eyes on your past achievements. I love this story. Um, in the ancient Roman empires, when uh, when Roman generals would go out to battle and they would they would have a victory, they would they would come back and as they would enter the city, they would have huge parades. And so everybody would come out and they would line the streets and they would throw flowers at the soldiers and just kind of be praising them. And they would go to the temple and make sacrifices to all their pagan gods. But it was this huge deal, like this huge fanfare. And as the generals would march through this this huge scene of people just throwing flowers and like basically worshiping them, they would have a slave that would follow the Roman general around. This would be like a gladiator slave. And all he would do is he'd walk behind the Roman general as everybody is cheering, and he would just say into his ear, you're just a man. You're just a man. You're mortal. You're going to die. And he would just keep saying the same thing over and over to this victorious Roman warrior. Why? Because they knew that if these Roman generals, these great warriors, begin to focus on their past achievements, if they wouldn't forget their successes, then the next time they got to, to battle, they would be reading their own cle- press clippings and they would get slaughtered. So it would actually have a slave just follow them around just saying, you're just a man. Don't listen to all this. You're a man. You're gonna die. You're mortal." I think Paul is basically saying the same thing. that You gotta forget the past. You gotta forget your past sins, your past mistakes, but you also have to forget your past achievements. Forget them both. Eyes up, eyes forward, on the prize, run hard, press hard into the race of knowing Jesus, Paul would say to us. And there's a second way that we have to press into this race. Not only do we need to forget the past, not only do we need to forget what lies behind us, But we also have to strain forward. Go back to verse 13. Paul says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul is saying, This is my one thing in life. This is what I do. I forget and I strain. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward towards the prize of Jesus. There's this uh, scene in the documentary about that triathlete I was telling you about earlier. Uh, James Lawrence, who did the 50-50-50 the thing. And he's being uh, interviewed at one point. And he said the one thing that kept him going forward, straining forward, right? The one thing that kept him from tapping out, and he almost quit se- several times. But he said the one thing that kept him going was his 11-year-old daughter would wait up for him every night and she would run the last 5K with him. And he said... I had a date at the end of every day and I was not going to let her down. And so he had picture his little girl at the end of his race waiting for him every single day. And that prize, that goal of not ever letting her down drove him to grind, to strive, to strain, to press through unimaginable mental and physical pain. And Paul is saying, this is what Jesus should be for the Christian. He is the fuel that powers our race. And so when the striving, when the straining gets tough, when we want to tap out, when we're not sure if it's really worth it, we look to Jesus waiting for us at the finish line. And we strive and we press and we strain all the more. Because the prize is worth it. Jesus is worth it all, Paul says. Paul says, the one thing I do, I forget and I strain forward towards Jesus. Paul was a one thing Christian. What's your one thing? We all have one thing that we primarily live for. One thing that gets us up in the morning. One thing that we kind of think about before we go to sleep. What's your one thing? Because I'm telling you, if you get this one thing right, it changes everything else in your life. It changes the way that you view your life. It changes the way that you view your work, your job. It changes how you parent. If you're a teen, it changes how you date, who you date. If you're married, it changes your marriage, the dynamic of that relationship. You pursue Jesus rightly. You run your race valiantly and it changes everything in your life. Is pursuing Jesus, striving, straining after him, is that your one thing? Or are you looking in the review review mirror of your life? Are you chasing things that will not matter in the end? Believer, let's get this one thing right. Because if we get this one thing right, everything else will fall into place. We must get this right. Verse 16, Paul says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. So Paul, Paul says, listen, as you forget the past, As you strain forward, let's hold true to what we have already attained. He's referring here, of course, to the gospel of Jesus. And so it goes, yeah, forget all your junk, forget your past, forget forget your failures and your sins, even forget your past successes and your past achievements. Let go of anything that doesn't help you run your race. Get rid of all of that in your life, but do not ever forget the gospel. Like, don't let go of this one thing. This is your lifeline. In the violent ocean of life, hold on to this one thing. Don't let go. So here's what Paul would say, and this is our truth uh, number three this morning. Believer, anchor your life in the gospel of Jesus. Man, we can get so wrapped up with other things. We can get so wrapped up with stuff, even good stuff in our life. Self-help stuff. Of getting past our past of getting good counseling for issues all that stuff is good getting getting meds that kind of help us out as a as a bridge to get somewhere better in our lives making ourselves better in a million different ways but in the middle of all of that if we're not careful we can forget as christians even to keep the main thing the main thing and you can self-help your your way right into hell and that is exactly what Paul's about to tell us in just a minute Keep Jesus the main thing, believer. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I know not all of you are, I want you to know that we invite you into this race this morning. We invite you to make Jesus the front and center of your life. It is absolutely the best thing that you could ever do with your life. Verse 17, Paul continues, he says this, brothers, join in imitating me And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, this is crucial. Paul is saying, watch me run. He's saying, I'm not perfect. I've already told you that I'm not perfect, but I'm running hard. And my eyes are are locked in on Jesus. And when I stumble, and I do stumble, I get right back up. I dust myself off, and I run even harder toward Jesus. So Paul is saying, if you need an example, watch me. And keep your eyes on others who are running in this way. In other words, he's saying, get around mature disciples. I think one of the reasons that a lot of Christians, especially young Christians, struggle so much in their walk with Jesus is they don't do this. They don't find people who are running the race, who are ahead of them in the race, and just get around them and spend time with them. I remember when I was 20 years old, a brand new uh, follower of Jesus. And uh, there was a guy in my church who was about 10 years older than me at the time. And one Sunday morning at church, I just cornered him and I said, man, can you take me under your your wing? He was probably thinking, who is this crazy kid? You know, but he did. And we spent time together every single week for uh, about a year. And I grew a ton during that year. Some of you need to find that man or that woman who is not perfect, but they've been running stronger and longer and harder than you have. And you need to get around them and you need to watch them. You need to to watch how they interact with their spouse. You need to watch how they raise their kids. You need to watch how they leverage their retirement for the kingdom of Jesus, right? Not, Not coasting in their golden years, but using their retirement freedom with their time and their money to love Jesus all the more. Like, get around those people. Find those people. And listen, don't do what a lot of, I see young Christians doing, which is basically like sulking. Like, man, nobody has offered to disciple me. Nobody's offered to mentor me. Poor, pitiful me. I'm like, go find someone. You ask someone to lunch. You take somebody to coffee. You be the aggressor. You pursue this in your life. Don't, don't sit around waiting for some like magical disciple fairy to drop a, a mentor into your life. Get after it. And here's the point uh, this morning right here, and, and we're not gonna belabor this, because Paul doesn't. Point number four, get around mature disciples, Christian. If you wanna run long and strong, get around mature disciples. If you wanna grow, if you wanna run this race well, You have to get around mature disciples. Verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, Paul is heartbroken over these brothers and sisters that he's now about to start describing to us. Many of whom I've often told you about, I tell you now even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Now, Paul is contrasting the type of people that we should imitate, the type of people we should watch, the type of people we should be around with the type of people that we shouldn't be around and shouldn't watch and shouldn't imitate. And to the best that I can tell, Paul is referring here to people who would claim to be Christians with their mouths, but would deny him with their lives. In other words, these are fakes. Fakes. And you know people like this, and I know people like this as well. And Paul is saying their God is their belly, meaning their primary appetite in life is for sin, not for Jesus. Their primary appetite, the primary things they pursue in their life are sinful things. And he says they are enemies of the cross. Regardless of what they proclaim with their mouth, they are enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, and they glory in their shame meaning the things that they ought to be embarrassed about, they actually celebrate. Now, we live in a culture that perpetually does this, don't we? The very things that that many people should be most ashamed of are celebrated. And Paul is saying, don't be like these people. They may claim Jesus with their mouths, but their end is destruction." Paul is saying, listen, just because you're, if you're younger, you're in school, just because your friends disrespect their parents, that doesn't mean we do as followers of Jesus. Just because your classmates are dishonest with their work doesn't mean we are. Just because sexual sin has become like normalized in our culture and celebrated in our culture doesn't mean we do that. Just because people live greedy, selfish lives and they're not generous with their time or their money doesn't mean we live that way. Because as followers of Jesus, we do not glory in shameful things. We are called to be different. So Paul is saying, be careful of bad examples, even in the church, even of people who would proclaim that they're Christians. Be careful. Make sure you're getting around the right people lest you also be led astray in your walk. And he closes with one more encouragement beginning in verse 20. He says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Paul says, live like a citizen of heaven, Christian, because that is exactly what you are. It doesn't make sense for you to to be a citizen of heaven and live like a citizen of the world. Like people should look at our lives. They should see how we love one another. They should see how we serve one another. They should observe how we give our lives away to the poor and the marginalized and to the forgotten and the oppressed they should observe how we spend our time and yes, even our money. And they should go like, man, you, you are not from around here, are you? Like we say in Alabama, you ain't from these parts, are you? You're not from around here. And we should say, yeah, well, I'm not. I belong to another kingdom. A better kingdom ruled by a better king. Man. Let me tell you about them. And so our last truth as we kind of finish out this morning is this. Truth number five. Christian, live like a citizen of another kingdom. The aroma of your life should set you apart from almost everybody else in your life. Someone just ask you, do you smell like Jesus right now in your life? Do you smell like him? Do you look like him? Do you walk like him? Do you serve like him? Do you love others, even if they're different from you, ferociously like he does? Our lives should be distinctly different than the world's lives people should detect a Jesus bent to the way that we walk through this world. Believer, let's live like citizens of a better kingdom. And as Paul is pursuing Jesus, he's living this life, he's forgetting his past, he's straining all the more towards Jesus. All the while, he can see the prize in the distance. He can see Jesus standing at the finish line. Paul can see that day when Jesus is gonna give us a new glorified body in the new heavens and the new earth and won't that be an incredible day? And he can see the kingdom where there will be no more death. He can see the kingdom where there'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more kids with cancer. There'll be no more abuse. There'll be more, no more racism. No, no more rape. No more wars. And Paul can see the feasting table set with jesus and all the saints where we will eat and drink in freedom and paradise forever with the one who has set us free and on that day he won't regret running his race and on that day he won't regret all the pain and he won't regret all the loss and on that day, when he hears those words come from the mouth of Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. It will all have been worth it. And this prize fuels his race. This is what he is running toward. And it's almost like we could see a, a smile on Paul's beaten, weathered, scarred face as he pins these words to us, as he imagines that day when he crosses his finish line and he sees Jesus face to face. And it should be like that in our lives as well. There's a pastor in California named John MacArthur and he tells the story of uh, being at the foot of the Swiss, Swiss Alps. And if you know anything about the Swiss, Swiss Alps, many people climb those mountains. Many people die trying to climb those uh, mountains every single year. They're beautiful mountains, breathtaking really. And so uh, MacArthur was at the bottom of one of these mountains and, and he recounts the story of seeing a, a marker for, uh, for a man who had, who had died trying to summit this mountain. It had a little epitaph on it. It said, the only thing it had on it was his name in three words. three words were this, he died climbing. He died climbing. I'd say, man, that that should be all of our epitaphs, Christians. They died climbing. They didn't slow down. They didn't give up. They didn't surrender. They didn't stop short of finishing their race. They pressed forward. They strained across the finish line. Not perfect, but they died climbing towards Jesus. And their lives mattered in the kingdom of God. So yeah, throw our bodies in the ground. But man, carve that on my headstone. He died climbing. She died climbing. And now they're at the summit with Jesus forever. Let that be the story of our lives. Let that be the legacy of our lives. We invite you to bow your heads with me as we close the band comes. And I have just one question for you to consider this morning. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, how are you doing with this today? How are you doing running your race? Not how are you doing 10 years ago, 20 years ago in college when you first became a believer. Not last week, not last month. How are you doing running your race well now, this week, today, this morning? Have you been distracted by your past like Paul talked about? Maybe your past sins, your past mistakes. Maybe you're actually being crippled by your past successes and spiritual achievements. Have you stopped running hard after Jesus because you're discouraged or you're tired spiritually? Or maybe even more dangerously, have you stopped running hard after Jesus because you feel like you've already done enough? You've done your part. If that's you, let me just encourage you, Christian, get back in the race. Get back in the race. Forget the past. The past doesn't matter. Strain forward. Press forward like a runner towards Jesus. Let's die climbing. And If you're here and you're not a Christian, I just want you to know we invite you into this glorious race of pursuing Jesus with your life. And I want you to know, you were made for this race. You are made for this. And until you start running this race, you're never gonna be satisfied. And so if that's where you are this morning, if you wanna know more about starting that race with Jesus, that journey with Jesus, we'll have some prayer counselors up here in just a few minutes. I'm about to pray, then we'll sing, and we'll have some people up here would encourage you. We'd love to talk with you, love to pray with you. that's your step just encourage you to be bold and come up after the service let's pray and then we'll sing father help us help us run well help us finish our race god help us not to look back and stumble on our past mistakes sins even our achievements in the past god help us throw aside anything in our life right now that's not helping us run well towards you so God, help us to keep our eyes locked on you. Help us to finish our race well, God. And for the person here who's not yet even in the race, God, has never even begun that race, have never given their life to a better king and a better kingdom, God, would you show them even now the beauty of Jesus, the strength of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, God. And by your spirit, would you draw them like you drew me Like you've drawn so many of us in this room. God, would you make them a son? Would you make them a daughter today? Give them a new heart. Give them a new life. Give them a new direction, a new mission in life, God. And we ask all of this in the great name of Jesus. Amen.